0: Well, listen, welcome to week three of uh, majoring in the minors and uh, the minor prophets, that is. So, again, these are those 12 gentlemen that appear at the very end of our Old Testament. Um, again, we struggle to say their names. We don't know that much about them. And so we've invited you to read along each week, and we're just going in order. So uh, last week was Hosea. Everybody read Hosea. <gasps> somebody laughed. Oh, uh, somebody laughed. Uh, uh, this week is Joel, so you all all read Joel. Next week is Amos, and there are nine chapters of Amos, so that's a chapter and then just a little bit more every day. And a and part of the reason we're doing that is just because Bible literacy is something we take seriously. We want people to have a living personal interaction with the Word. Um, but also, these are survey-style sermons, which means we're covering a whole book in one day. And so there's a lot more there than I can get to in one sermon. So we just invite you to read and, you know, even send me some questions. Those are fun. Some of y'all will email me during the week. It's always fun to kind of dig those out as well. So um, having said that, uh, to get started today, we are going to pull at the, the, the thread of why. Okay, we're going to start with, with all 12 and just ask the question, why? Why are all 12 of these minor prophets hammering away... At the sins of God's people. I mean, surely there's something better to talk about than that, right? There's more than they could say. And and here's why. It's because during this this period of history, it was particularly a very dark, sinful period in Israel's Israel's life. And the thing about sin is that sin is a thief. Um, There are a lot of ways we think about sin. But today I want to invite you to think about sin as a thief who robs us of two things. One is the goodness of God, and the other is the good things of God. They're just the good things of God. So when we say the goodness of God, we mean the love of God, relationship with God. Sin robs us of that. Scripture says, sin separates us from God. It brings spiritual death. But it also robs us of blessing. Um, Jane and I were kind of talking and praying. Sometimes we talk, pray, kind of mix it all together, just about how when when we enter into sin and when we worry, the goodness of God can be all around us, and we don't even see it. We miss it completely because our hearts and our heads are, are somewhere else. That's what sin does. It just helps us to miss what God is doing in our lives, and God has life for us, a life of love. I mean, God wants us to know him and to be filled with him and to walk through this earth very very differently, and so the prophets get that, and they want us in that place. They want us fully alive, enjoying abundant life, and so uh, anyway, that, that that's that's kind of the answer to that question of why. Now, last week we got to know Hosea, and this week we're going to get to know Joel, <clears throat> and so I'm going to kind of compare and contrast them just a little bit, point out a couple of differences between these. Two prophets, because some, there's this tendency for them to all kind of run together. So, little difference between Joel and Hosea. Um, Hosea, we know exactly when Hosea lived, right? We said that last week. Eighth century BC. Joel, we really don't know. Um, probably, well, maybe the fifth century BC, but we're not quite sure. Um, because of that, we know that Hosea faced off against Jeroboam II. I expected booze and rotten fruit after we learned about him last week. But Jeroboam II. But again, because we don't know when Joel was here, we're not really sure who is in power. Um, Hosea specifies the sins of Israel. He lists them he names them, he calls them out. When you get done with the book of Hosea like we did last week, we know it was adultery, it was idolatry, it was neglect of the poor. Um, Joel never specifically says what the sins of Israel are during this period. But the sense in Joel, is it's kind of like a family. You know, when parents speak and they go, we all know what we've been doing around here lately and it is not good. There's that, that sense that field that that the people know. And so all Joel has to do is just point to, hey, we're in a whole, things are bad, things are gonna get a whole lot worse, and every one of us knows why. Um, And uh, the, the timing that they're speaking in is very different for Israel as well. The setting is very different. Hosea, last week we said that he got up and he prophesied in a time of prosperity, in a time of plenty, so it's like when, when Hosea gets up to speak, everybody's walking around in life is good, T-shirts. And there's even a sense as he's talking about, you know, hey, trouble's coming. Everybody's like, "What well, man, what are you talking about? My bank account is full. You know, there's plenty of food on the table. That My, my stocks are up. But in, in Joel, things are bad when he stands up to speak, and things are about to get a whole lot worse. So there's a very different urgency and a feel and a sense to both of these books. And then, then of course, as we said last week with Hosea, it is an epic love story of the love of God. I mean, just the compassion of God for his people. And it really is, you guys are all where you are, but God is coming your way. Joel kind of goes from the other angle where this is a calling of the people back to God. What Joel is doing is heart surgery on the people of God, and you'll see that in just a minute. Um, Another thing you may have noticed this week as you read Joel is that this is a guy that knows the word of God. Did anybody anybody realize how many times Joel quotes somebody else in the Old Testament? Okay, I I, I did a list for you, okay? Um, He quotes Isaiah Amos, Nahum, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Malachi, and Exodus. This man knows the word. And then, then finally, we're going to do this today. Since Joel is only three chapters long, and Joel essentially makes three points, we're tr- or I'm going to treat this sermon like a three-act play, okay? Uh, act one, act two, act three. So act one is the problem. Act two is the plan, and act three, you know there's another P coming, right? Of course you do. The promise. Okay. So let me pray for us, and then let's dive into act one. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the riches of your word. And God, we, we today want to take a journey with you. Lord, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to, to just shine light on us, As we put ourselves underneath the Word of God, we're asking you today to speak to us, to motivate us, to move us into very green pastures of life with you. Lord, we we can't do a thing apart from you. We can't even hear the Word of God. I can't even preach it without your help, Holy Spirit. So come and do that here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Act 1, the problem. Um, Joel, as I alluded to a minute ago, uh, chapter 1... Uh, opens, Joel begins in very dark days in Israel's life. Um, verse 2, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? I read that, and here's what happens to me. I go, okay, Joel, you, you got my attention. What in the world's going on? And the answer's very, very simple. Uh, it is locusts, drought and wildfires, okay? Now, we might not be able to identify with the locusts, but the drought and the wildfires, all right? We've we got a little little sense of this. And let me just read it to you. Verse four, a mighty locust swarm, Joel calls them an army. Verse seven, has descended and stripped everything bare, okay? Um, they have, we're talking vines, fig trees, the crops have been decimated by these locusts. You ever seen Bugs Life? All right. It's a whole lot worse than that. They just clean everything out. Uh, Moving on to verse 10 through 12, drought, which has ruined the grain, the wheat, the barley, pomegranate, palm, and apple trees, as the ground has just dried up. So drought has done its job, leading to a perfect scenario, Joel two nineteen and twenty wildfires which have devoured the pastures and have just burned up the trees. Oh, okay. Um, that results in Joel one eighteen. Now we have cattle that don't moo, so the cattle don't moo anymore. They moan. Joel says. Can you imagine that? Moan. So the cows are moaning. <laughs> The sheep are suffering, and he says in verse 12, the people's joy has just withered away. I bet it has. I mean, this is a nightmare scenario, but see, here's the thing. Joel says, after all of this, people, all right, we're all on the same page here with how bad things are. Everyone's attention has been gotten. A greater day of the Lord is coming. It's a day of God judging the sins of his people. And Joel goes on to describe this day of the Lord. So there's no mistake uh, in in anybody's perception here. He says, the day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand. And this is chapter 2, verse 2. Darkness and gloom, clouds and blackness. A mighty army comes like dawn spreading across the mountains, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Verse 6, at the sight of this army, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. Verse 11, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Okay, anybody feeling that at all? I mean, that, that, this is a big thing. And by the way, we, the way we know that this is about the sins of God's people is it's called the day of the Lord, right? So th- th- this is, a, and God is at the head of the army. So there's no question why what's coming is coming. And I think at this point we go, man, this feels so depressing Steve, I think we need a commercial break, but listen, a commercial break won't solve this, all right? So let's move on to act two now, which is the plan. Listen to the plan. Um, Joel's rallying cry to everyone in Joel one and two is is when the plan unfolds here. Now, it it starts off um, for everybody, okay? And all the way through, this is a rallying cry for everyone. So it's not like Joel is going, hey, look, Uh, Head of the nation, this is for you. Or, hey, listen, uh, preachers over here in the temple, priests, this is for you. This is for everyone, okay? Uh, Joel starts off here. Joel 1 and uh, 1.5, he starts off at the local pub. Guys down at the bar, drinking it up. Wake up, sober up. Verse 11 and 12, farmers and vineyard workers, despair, wail, and grieve. I love verses 13 and 14, priests get off the sidelines and get into the game. And Then Joel 2, 16 and 17, I'll read this to you, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. You know what this is, folks? Does anybody remember the 1980s fire safety little motto, the kind of the campaign? Y'all remember it? Anybody. I'll give you the first word. Stop. Stop, drop, and roll, okay? This is stop, drop, and roll. Everybody, stop whatever else you are doing. Drop everything that your hands are busy with and roll, roll on over to God's house, all right? So that's what it is. Stop, drop, and roll. And um, Joel 2, 15 and 16, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, consecrate the people. And by the way, consecrate is a very simple term here. It means, look, return to God. Come back to God. Dedicate yourselves to God once again. Look, not everywhere else. But look to the Lord and look to the Lord only. So this is, God is it, everyone, right here. Let's consecrate ourselves. Set ourselves apart again for the Lord and only the Lord. But there's a thing here, okay? There is a key. There is a key to all of this. Without this key, the plan will fail, okay? So this is very important when it comes to this consecration, And this consecration lies in verse 13, chapter 2, 13. And by the way, this is almost the exact middle of Joel. It's one burning and beautiful phrase. And many of you know what it is already. Rend your hearts and not your garments. That's the key to this consecration. Without that, there hasn't been repentance. There hasn't been a coming back to God. And so what Joel is saying to the people of God is he's saying, look, Israel, this time um, we can't just put on a religious show for God. We, we, we can't just go through the motions. Don't just put on sad faces, sprinkle a few ashes on your heads, say, we're sorry, and um, then tear your clothes, which is, is kind of Israel's pattern. This time, real repentance, it's got to be sincere sincere. It's got to be heartfelt. It's got to be heart-filled. It really has got to be about a whole life change. And so what he's saying is, look, as you turn to God, this is about all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that sound familiar? Everything that makes you you needs to turn in God's direction. This is coming to God and seeking real relationship with Him. It's, It's all about knowing Him this time. And so this is what's been put on the people of God. They know the, the problem. They know what the plan is, but now for act 3, the promise. And this is where God steps into this so beautifully. Joel speaks hope over Israel. Joel 2:13. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And isn't this wonderful? Because, you know, if you've ever been in a conflict situation with someone, and you've humbled yourself, and you've gone to them, and it's been a pretty serious thing that's happened here, you don't know how they're going to respond. Have you ever been in that place? They might blow me out of the water. You know, they might call me a few things and tell me to hit the bricks. what Joel is saying, look, in full assurance. That's not who waits for you at the other end of this Repentance. This is God with his arms wide open. He goes further in verses 18 through 25. The Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the enemy far from you. Be glad and rejoice, surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit, the fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers. Both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Man, that's, it's just beautiful what God has waiting for his people. This has always been God's heart for his people in every season. And everything we just read, this is God's immediate promise to Israel. This is what they can expect right here, right now, God's goodness, God's forgiveness, God's hope, God's healing, and God's restoration. And just so you know, there is a reason for God saying all of this, God doing all of this in verse 27. God has a reason, a rationale in mind. And it is then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. Why do they need to know? Because they have forgotten. And again, this is one of the things that sin does. So isn't that great? Yeah, that, and, and by the way, that's a wrap. <laughs> well, not exactly, because there's actually an act four, okay? You guys knew, I'm never going to get up here and preach a three-point sermon, Okay. <laughs> There's actually an act four to Joel. Listen to this one. Joel 3, 28, 29, and 32. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel points to a future day when people will call on the name of the Lord and be saved and a day when the Holy Spirit will not just be given to a few prophets to complete an assignment or a certain God-given task, but the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people for everyday life and everyday ministry. Joel talks about this mysterious someday, future event. You know who he's talking about? Joel's talking about us. He's talking about you and I. This is what Christ completed and what was poured out on on Pentecost and was meant for the future. Joel is talking about us. We, right, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and we are saved. Isn't that beautiful? But see, here's the thing. It can't stop there for the church and too often it does stop there for the church many Christians okay many of us have been taught and trained to treat the Holy Spirit like uh, kind of the silent partner in the Trinity Um, you know kind kind of uh, we, we need with the attitude of you know we need relationship with God we need relationship with Jesus but the Holy Spirit not so much There's a lot of that in in evangelicalism today. Or some of us have had this experience. We've seen the wild abuses and some of the wild extremes of of a few Christians who are biblically unbalanced or biblically misinformed, and we're a bit spooked by the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it happens to Christians all the time. And listen, while we are called as Christians to fear God, and y'all, the fear of God is a beautiful thing. You know, the fear of God is, Lord, is, is this, this heart attitude of, Lord, everything you say is for me. You know, the path you have laid out, I'm walking in that path. The things that you say are deadly. You call sin. I'm going to stay away from it. Lord, my life is going to be about growth and maturity, and, and following you is the only way to do that. That's the fear of the Lord. Being afraid of God is not something that should happen to Christians. You know, that God says to us in the Word, He says, um, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Now, some of us know how many times God says that. Do you want to call that one out? 365 times God says in Scripture, do not be afraid. That's one. Do not be afraid for every day of the year, and so often those verses are in conjunction with him. If people have a moment where they see God in all of His holiness, it happens in Scripture. You know what the reaction is every time someone sees uh, God in all of His holiness or an angel in all of its splendor? Hey, that's cool. No, it's ah, it really and that 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 it should be that way. That's theophany. That's a God appearance. God's first words: Don't be afraid. I am with you. Do not fear. And, and just, so here's the deal in a nutshell, okay? When it comes to the Holy Spirit and the Christian life, we need him. We need, look around these days. We need the Holy Spirit filling and using um, Christians in this day and day. We need Holy, the Holy Spirit for ministry and life down here. We need him. We need relationship with him. We need him using us. Listen, if I've learned anything in my now 22 years of head pastor ministry experience, here it is, over and over and over and over again in my life and in my ministry, I have experienced the difference between when I do something and he does something. When we do something and God does it. In session meetings, the difference when we seek the face of God versus coming in with, well, here's what we're going to do. It's astounding. In, in counseling sessions, Nicole, you know about this. You're sitting there talking to somebody, and, man, their, their situation is complex. And the more they talk, the more you go, I have no idea what to do. And you just pray and say, Holy Spirit, help me, show me. And then he does, and it's the thing they need that only God and they know that changes their life. In sermon writing. Oh my goodness, it it makes such a difference when Steve goes, I told the class this this week. I have written sermons, and some of them I've thought, that is a masterpiece. <laughs> Shakespeare, you couldn't have outdone it. And you know what that is? That, Steve, you really like what you did? Flattest thing I ever do. There are other weeks when I pray, I listen, I put it together. I'm not even all that confident, but it's God's word instead of mine. And I, I, I go home and I tell Jim, I'm like, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. No one's ever going to come back. And people will go, that sermon changed my life. Man, you were amazing today. It's the difference between the Spirit of God and someone who's been theologically trained in what comes next for the church. You know, so often we come to crossroads um, as a session, as leadership. We could go this way or this way. Both of them make a lot of sense. There's one way that's right. We need the Lord to show us that. So all that stuff done according to our logic and done in our strength, even though it's well-intended, what it's always like for the church it's like a car that runs out of gas. But everything I mentioned, when we invite the Holy Spirit to empower us, to lead us, to speak to us, and to speak through us, and to, show, to answer all the questions, who, what, when, where, why, how, it all comes to life. And what happens is every time we enter into richer, fuller life in God, and that's what we want as a church. Our prayer When I say our prayer, me and Jane, and we don't exactly pray this every day, but the gist of our prayer every morning is always something like this. Lord, apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. Yet, through Christ and by the power of your spirit, we can do everything you call us to do. And so we always end it with, Lord, enter into this space, fill us afresh, fill us anew, Convict us, because we need that. Correct us, because we need that. Empower us for today. Let me pray for us. Lord, the same prayer for your church today. Apart from you, Cornerstone can do nothing. Yet through Christ and by the power of your Spirit, we can do everything you call us to do. Holy Spirit, enter into our ministry space our conversational space. Enter into our, our, our prayer space, we pray in Jesus' name. Fill us afresh and anew. God, convict us, correct us, empower us for today. In Jesus' name, amen.